Good morning, everybody. I sort of feel a bit emotional. <laughs> uh, welcome you all back because we, um, we did have one event here two weeks ago, but literally that was the first in nearly two years since March 2020. And we haven't had the pleasure of Tim for two years, almost to the date now. So uh, we are absolutely thrilled to welcome him back for this wonderful session of Some Light in Darkness, the first of four sessions. And fingers crossed, all will happen as planned. As you can see, we're spaced out here. I hope it's comfortable for you. We've kept the temperature a little down. And if you could wear your masks while during the, 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 the session, and Tim and I have it off while we're speaking to you just for clarity. Um, most of you have probably been here before, but if you have not, we have the, the emergency exits are the door you came in, and there's one to my left here. And if you can just ensure to have your phones on silent, that would be great. Um, the toilets are just outside by the cafe, and it's great that the cafe are open seven days a week now as of last week, so for tea and buns afterwards or, or lunch also. Um, I just want to say a really warm thank you to Tim for all he did last year to help us through the, 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 the lockdowns, the various lockdowns. Um, some of you will have seen the printouts of, of his series of 12 sessions that he did in J July, and then last Christmas we brought out this, this um, uh, series of Christmas Darkness into Light 2020 with uh, an appendix of Christmas songs as well, so, m Christmas music, sorry Tim, <laughs> and uh, these are all available on our website. So if you haven't got the website handy, look up libraries.dlrcoco.ie and take away one of these sheets with the news and events. Uh, there's a few events coming up, still don't know for sure if they'll all happen, but let's remain optimistic. And we are thrilled to have Tim with us today. So please give him a very warm welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Marion. Now, as um, I know a lot of faces, even behind the mask, I recognize it's lovely to be here again after two years. Uh, you know that I like to wander around. Uh, there's a slight change uh, this year in that the sessions are going to be podcast. So although um, there are only 60 people or so in the room, how lovely it is not to just have you know, one person across the table. Lovely to see you. It's so good to be here. Uh, so the podcast will be um, available, and I'm sure Marion will tell you exactly how to look at them if you want to see them again. Now, the last time I spoke to you here, um, the session I called both two years ago and a couple of years before that was... Um, from darkness into light. And that's because we started the music with all souls, with requiems, the darkness of the requiems, and then through the darkness of Advent leading to the light of Christmas. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but being music lovers, I guess you're like me, and that music has been a great source of light in these dark and difficult times. Certainly those people who have um, companions, who have gardens, who have books and who have music. I personally am a natural hibernator. I'm perfectly uh, content, um, up to a point. 
Um, as long as one's uh, health is good and one's family is happy, then really I think we should be very thankful. But music has shone a great light into uh, my life, as it has done for nearly 80 years. And um, it's wonderful to be able to share some music with you. And the music uh, has been... I've chosen it because it has been uh, such a pleasure to me. I've made a note over the um, months of the last couple of years of the music that has um, uh, excited and pleased me. So that's been the main reason. Now, there will be Christmas music, of course. How can we come towards the Christmas season um, without choosing some music? Um, my uh, feelings about the shape of the mornings it's the same as usual, really. Um, I've always loved to start with chant. After all, Western music started with chant, and chant is still very important. Um, and so I've gone chronologically through to the 2021st century at the end of the session. It seems musically to make sense, and it's interesting to see how the music develops over the centuries, so we'll continue to do that. Um, as Marion said, if you've got any questions or comments, I'd be delighted if you would email them to me and I will respond to you. Um, I don't think this is the time for uh, meeting and chatting, unfortunately. Uh, so if you'd like to do that, if I... Um, get emails from you, I'd be very happy indeed, and, and will uh, respond. Uh, so that's how things are going to go. Um, we're going to start with, and uh, sorry, before, there's one thing I have to tell you, and it's an apology, because I had forgotten the importance of today, the 22nd of November, and many of you will realize it is the feast of Saint Cecilia, the patron saint of music. So all the music will be dedicated to Saint Cecilia. I unfortunately had forgotten that when I chose the music, so I haven't got lots of Saint Cecilia music. I think two years ago we played the Benjamin Britten hymn to Saint Cecilia, which is such a wonderful work. If you are so inclined to celebrate Cecilia this evening, have a look at both Handel and Purcell wrote wonderful music um, for the, the feast. Um, it's also, incidentally, the birthday of Stephen Hoff, who is one of the most wonderful piano players that I know. He's just got uh, rave reviews for Chopin Nocturnes just come out recently. So it's Stephen's birthday. It's also Benjamin Britten was born on this day. So a very important musical day uh, in many, many ways. So uh, four female doctors of the church, sort of senior saints. And one is Hildegard of Bingen. And how strange it is that I wouldn't be a bit surprised if uh, I found that Hildegard was the most prolific and possibly even the most famous female composer 
Why were there so few female composers? I don't have an answer to that. I think in the 20th and 21st century, that has been um, uh, changed. I think there are many fine female composers now. Uh, but in, uh, throughout the thousand years or so, um, I'll check Hildegard's dates. She was very early. Um, now, 11... No, I haven't got them here. Anyway, 12th century, very, very early. And she called herself a feather on the breath of God. She was very poetic. She was a poet. She was a mystic, uh, visionary, uh, leader, and founder of abbeys in Germany. Uh, and she uh, wrote letters to uh, no fewer than four popes, probably giving out about the laxity of the system at the time. And maybe that's one of the reasons why she had to wait until 2012 before uh, becoming canonized, <laughs> that they didn't forgive her for all that uh, um, flack that she threw at them in those days. She met Bernard of Clairvaux. She met Frederick, the Emperor Frederick Barbarossa. Um, and she, many, many letters and 77 songs. And here is one of them. This is a very important CD. Uh, it is a very early one from the wonderful CD company Hyperion. Stephen Hoff, incidentally, recorded those Chopin nocturnes on the label. And it was the first time that I heard the voice of Emma Kirkby. Now, we're not hearing Emma. I've chosen another track to start off with. Um, but it was the first, it was my introduction both to Hildegard and to Gothic voices. And they were a very important uh, Cambridge-based group that brought together musicologists, especially Christopher Page, the leader, and skilled performers in early music. Um, and this was a really wonderful um, CD, and I treasure it. And the, the uh, track that I'm going to play is called Ave Generosa. And that is Hail, nobly born, honored, inviolate, maiden, the piercing gaze of chastity, the material of holiness, the one who pleased God. And its chant uh, in the style of Hildegard, and the singer is Margaret Philpott.
Many of you will um, have heard some of my stories before, uh, but uh, what I always say after hearing that is something totally wonderful and unique about chant. And it's, if you come into this room with stress, 
that does help, doesn't it? There's something so wonderful about it. And no better person than... Uh, well, we didn't hear Emma. We will hear Emma before the end of the session, I promise you. Oh, but not this session, but before. But this reminded me that Hildegard was also an artist. And she drew uh, some of her visions, and that's one in the middle. Uh, most remarkable person, very interesting, a very important figure in the uh, Middle Ages. The next music we'll hear is also chant. We have to remember that chant was a major influence on into the centuries. Now, the character who wrote this was very uh, different, very, very different uh, to Hildegard. It's Carlo Gesualdo. Now, he has come to fame because he murdered his wife and her lover. And, you know, you don't often get murderer composers, but he was quite famous for this. And it's a pity that everybody remembers him when he, for, uh, for this when his name is is first mentioned, because he did write some most wonderful um, and strange um, madrigals and also motets of sacred settings. We'll hear one in a minute. Um, Igor Stravinsky was fascinated by Carlo Gesualdo and um, rearranged some of his madrigals and also wrote an introduction to a biography of Gesualdo. But he was a strange and uh, worried figure. After this uh, murder, he was so distraught that um, he uh, put himself through all sorts of um, pain in order to uh, assuage his guilt. Um, now, I say uh, we start with chant because um, he wrote chant and then uh, motets and madrigals based on the chant uh, of extraordinary harmonic, modern harmonic sounding um, ways. And uh, this is O Tenebrae Facte Sunt from his Tenebrae settings, the services from Holy Week. It was darkness uh, when they crucified Christ. So um, this is two contrasting pieces of music by Carlo Gesualdo. Is omnibus curatione 
strange music of Carlo Gesualdo. And his dates were 1566 to 1613. So he was before Monteverdi, um, but fascinating and beautiful music, uh, sung very well there by um, Andrew Parrott's Taverner Consort. Um, now, I don't know whether you were very aware of the quality of those soprano voices there. Um, very pure, and it gives me an opportunity to make our first, but uh, not the only comment about the absence of vibrato. And yes, there's some response because you know how I feel about that. Um, and unfortunately, uh, the higher the voice, the more obvious uh, vibrato is. You know, it's as though somebody was shaking or, or maybe she wasn't quite getting the right note or was it there, a little bit up, a little bit down, wobble, wobble, horrible. It's something that I dislike a lot. I don't see any reason why the uh, motets sung throughout the ages from Gesualdo and before right up to the present day shouldn't sound in tune. And if you have voices that are wobbling, you cannot be in tune. So uh, that's the first example of the sort of soprano that I like, the sort of voice I like. And here's another one. This is Grace Davidson, and she is um, a soprano on... Uh, actually, she lives in Cambridge, and she uh, has produced a wonderful um, uh, programme of the music of John Dowland. Now, uh, I'm sure some of you know the story of Dowland. For some time, um, Irish musicologist Grattan Flood insisted that Dowland was Irish. And uh, at some stage, uh, music lovers erected a plinth on Dorky Hill, claiming that John Dowland was born in Dorky. There is actually a Dowland Road in Walkenstown, uh, but that's beside the point. I found that out yesterday. Um, anyway, he was principally well known as a master lutenist. And uh, that's wonderful because the lute is a fantastic instrument. Did anybody hear Radio 3 Bach before 7 this morning? Uh, a wonderful lute player called Nigel North, who also came to my um, early music festivals that I used to run many years ago, Nigel North. And the lutenist here, a Welshman called David Miller, so his nickname is, as you might guess, Die Lute. Um, anyway, here is Grace Davidson singing a most charming one of uh, Dowland's uh, many beautiful songs. I think he lifted the English song to a new height. His um, dates... No, I haven't got his dates... It was around about there, uh, around about the same time, um, in uh, 1563 to 1626. So still early 17th century. Grace Davidson soprano, um, David Miller lute, 
And uh, this is Come Again, Sweet Love.
Dowland has a reputation of being a bit of a misery boots. Um, you know, very sad songs and sad pieces for lute. But that's a charming, bright, very, very pretty song. Uh, some of you may have sung it in a four-part version. It's, it's quite a, um, a popular song. And uh, you know what I mean about Grace's voice? It's a light voice. Uh, she does use vibrato, especially for colouring at the end of phrases, and that's just fine. But it's not in your face. It's not there all the time. There is a, um, a purity which I think is very appropriate to the music. Uh, and a very fine looseness as well. Now, uh, our first um, listen to another favorite group of mine called Vox Luminis. And again, the sopranos and female voices, especially here, have a very pure sound. Um, and so that appeals to me. Um, they have made a very great name for themselves by performing music, German music, of Bach's predecessors and um, other works of uh, the Germ Germany before Bach. Uh, they came to the concert hall and they sang uh, Bird and Talis. And it was lovely, but I, do I did wish that they would go back to, you know, we've got a lot of very, very good choirs who sing Bird and Talis very, very well, and we're used to it. Um, so I was sad that they didn't sing more uh, of the German repertoire and the French repertoire. Um, but I'm working on trying to get them back to Dublin because they are a wonderful group. I wonder why. Um, some, somebody said that it was because the voices were not originally trained as voices, that they were, many of them, most of them, were instrumentalists. I think this is very interesting, thinking about our interpretation of early music, that the instruments have been with us for many years, 50 years since the early uh, rediscovery of, for instance, the Baroque violin and how different it was, and the viola da gamba, how different that was to uh, the modern cello, and indeed the wind instruments as well, of course, with uh, their very different sound. If you take a flute, for instance, we can, we'll hear some flute music later in the series, and the, the uh, old flutes, the wooden flutes, sounded much more like recorders and, than a, a Jimmy Galway uh, gold flute. Uh, so the, the instruments have changed and the way the instruments sounded have changed for uh, performances of early music. But voices somehow have taken a much longer time. It's taken a longer time, I think, for us to realize that the way that you sing uh, Bach, Monteverdi, surely, and Bach and Baroque is different to a Schubert leader or contemporary ways of singing. And the vibrato is the most obvious, the size of the voices. The voices are smaller, seems to me more appropriate, and you'll hear it again in <coughs> excuse me, this performance. Now, this is a diesere from a requiem by Heinrich Bieber, 
And he was one of the most renowned um, uh, predecessors of uh, German and Austrian music. Um, a requiem uh, by Bieber, uh, who was, in fact, most famous as a virtuoso violinist. And his rosary sonatas, which I've certainly played in this room often, um, are, I think, the greatest solo violin music before Bach. Uh, but he also wrote some big band stuff, some large-scale, multi-choral uh, requiems, uh, for, specifically for uh, Salzburg Cathedral. And um, he did very well out of it, did Mr. Bieber. He was ennobled by the Emperor Leopold I in 1690. And so um, he was, uh, uh, did very well out of his composing both for small solo violin and also these uh, larger scale works. But Vox Luminis doesn't do things in a, what um, I sometimes call a crashy manner. You know, he's very delicate. He's still a Baroque composer. This is uh, not a deeply uh, sad diezire. In fact, it has a lot of charm to it. <laughs>
I do recommend you um, listen out for more music by Bieber. I think he's, you know, one of these composers who are really well worth trying to find out more about. Uh, and also listen to Vox Luminis. I had the most astonishing musical experience, one of the most memorable of my life, when I heard Bach's uh, most, my, my favorite motet, Jesu Meine Freude, sung by Vox Luminis around the font in Eisenach where Bach was baptized. Not a dry eye in the house. I mean, it was a most wonderful experience in every way. Um, 
And we are going to listen to another Bach motet. Now, this is Lobet den Herrn. If Jesu meine Freude is the longest and more com most complex of Bach's so-called six motets, um, the motet in Bach's day was beginning to go out of favor and was taken over by the cantata. There are six usually recognized motets by Bach. Uh, he wrote over 300 cantatas. Now, sadly, only a couple of hundred have come down to us, but the cantata was in vogue in Germany in those days. The motet usually um, was a work for, not, not always, for solo voice or choir with accompaniment, but not separate instrumental composition. Um, so it was an accompaniment. Here's the vocal consort Berlin under Marcus Creed singing Lobidain Herrn a la Haydn. Uh, praise be to God, all ye, ye heathens. And uh, this, like so much of Bach's work, question marks about, you know, is it really by Bach or was it by somebody else? I mean, he did so much copying and pasting and everybody else did. There was no shame in that in those days. Um, but it, this is a wonderful piece of music. I've sung it a number of times. They are very difficult pieces to sing these. They're very complicated and uh, it starts off with a wonderful dancing fugue. Uh, this is a complete delight. I hope you will feel so too.
Well, if anything, we'll send you out with a spring in your step. That music will, it's such a wonderful piece of music. I think that his motets would be uh, the music I would take to a desert island. I think there's so much in them. And the other thing is that they are, there's an awful lot of very, very happy music. I think we sometimes treat Bach with too much seriousness, you know, a sort of little genuflection every time his name is mentioned. Uh, of course he was serious, but we have to remember that he, um, he wrote a song in praise of tobacco, for goodness sake, and he liked his jar, you know, lots of uh, songs about uh, uh, a tipple, never mind his 20 children. So he, he was a real human being. His, he was uh, close to God in many ways, but uh, his humanity, I think, we should always remember and rejoice in, and that piece of music seems to me to express it as well as anything. So uh, that's Lobedain Hern. Um, Franz Schubert, I think we do, there's a lot of composers whose music we think of in one direction and forget about the other directions. You know, Schubert's leader, absolutely astonishing. I mean, I was reminded that he died aged 31. And yet he wrote over 600 songs, you know, for solo voice. Absolutely astonishing. I mean, I do, did he have more than 15 years of, of uh, composing life? Not much more than that. So he did write an astonishing amount of music. Now, I have to admit that I'm not a great man for um, 19th century, 18th, 19th century symphonies. I tend to prefer, I'm a great string quartet fan, I love string quartets, and sometimes there are uh, compositions that are sort of halfway between the two, and I've been listening to Schubert's octet quite often during the last couple of years. It's a very charming work. It's not too serious. It's very light. It was commissioned by a man, a, a count, who happened to be a clarinetist. And it's for a string quintet and clarinet, horn, and bassoon. And it's full of great charm and, and lightness. You don't associate uh, Schubert, perhaps, with this type of music. And I like these halfway uh, pieces like you know Beethoven's septet and Mendelssohn's double octet. I like these sort of halfway houses very much, and this is um, one of the uh, movements from his octet. Um, Schubert, Franz Schubert.
Didn't he write most wonderful tunes, Schubert? Um, I think that's the most delightful piece of music. Uh, something uh, sort of I knew in the back of my mind, but I brought it out and played it. I must have played it four or five times. Uh, complete delight. Uh, absolutely astonishing what Schubert did in such um, a very short life. Now, this next man isn't famous for his tunes. Uh, people say, oh, Tim, you don't, you don't like contemporary music, do you really? You just, you only like jazz, you don't like the, you know, the straight classical stuff. That's not true at all. And Olivier Messiaen is probably the greatest French composer after the um, Impressionists, you know, after Debussy. And he was most famous for his organ works. And he wrote a lot of organ music, but he wrote only one motet, only one piece of what you might call liturgical music for choir, or sacrum convivium. I think it's a very beautiful piece, uh, but I have to admit it also has a very firm memories for me because uh, the choir of St. Bartholomew's Church in Ballsbridge, with whom I sang um, for many years, retired before my fellow choristers wished that I would. That's how I put it. I was beginning to make less than beautiful noises. So um, anyway, I sang with them for 50, 15 years, and we made two visits to Paris and uh, to Chartres, to the cathedral in Chartres, which is one of the most wonderful cathedrals I've ever been to. And there's an astonishing rose window there, breathtaking rose window. And I remember standing, looking at this amazing window and singing this work and uh, being very proud of the choir. The boys were singing the top line and they did magnificently. But my knees were shaking. I almost had to sit down, I was so moved. Um, Messiaen, maybe the reason that he didn't write any other liturgical music was that he's quoted as saying that the only music that is worthy to uh, be performed during the Mass is plain song. So uh, interesting from uh, such a contemporary composer. Um, and that's probably the reason. This is a very devotional, uh, he was also very influenced by birdsong, especially in his organ works, which, which are fascinating. I mean, they're not easy listens, there's no doubt about that. You know, they really have you on the edge of your seat, and you'll very often hear his fascination with birdsong. So a really important and interesting um, composer, and this is O Sacrum Convivium for Four Voices.
Thank you for being so amazingly quiet. <laughs> you couldn't really listen to that music without that sense. It's uh, very, very beautiful. Again, very, very difficult to sing. I remember being so proud of our boys when they got those high notes in Chartres. And we sang in the Madeleine and Saint-Sulpice. It was a wonderful experience to go over there. Um, we also, um, Stanford, Charles Villiers Stanford, good church violent fellow. What on earth do you do when you say, well, now we're going to go to the Vatican and to Paris. We have to sing some Irish music. And Stanford wrote a few motets in Latin. So that's what <laughs> was sung. Um, I can always remember that singing Stanford <laughs> and then that Messiaen in Chartres. So join, join a choir and see the world. Um, my daughter, uh, Lucy, was incredibly lucky. She joined Chamber Choir Ireland and went to New Zealand and to China and all around the world singing uh, with some, she has some wonderful memories. And the final memory was her singing Bach in St. Thomas's in Leipzig. I don't think anybody, any father has ever been more uh, envious <laughs> of his daughter than I was. Um, so I think we end with our first DVD of the morning. We usually have one DVD, and I do want to thank Jer Hughes so much for these wonderful um, uh, visuals. And Joe will uh, see if he can find a DVD as well. So many thanks, Joe. And we end in Russia and in Christmas.
that was fun, wasn't it? I'm glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, just a little um, something very, very different, but so colourful and uh, uh, unique. Well, it's uh, coming to the end of our first session. Uh, thank you so much. I think Marion wants to say something before we go. But thank you so much for coming. It's been my very great pleasure, as always. Lovely to be here again. And I uh, hope to see you uh, next Monday at 11. And as I say, if there are any questions or comments, you've got my email address there. Um, and uh, thanks again, Marianne. Thanks again, Joe. Thanks again, um, Gary Fleming, for putting... Uh, all this music up on Spotify, so you'll be able to actually access this music again uh, on Spotify, should you wish. So, many thanks indeed. Thank you.